Hello, welcome again to the Trip Podcast. Um, today, you're, you're being, uh, we're not going for our normal amble on the sports side of things, we're going to get straight into it. And today, we've got Stuart Wade with us. Stuart, how's it going? Hi, David. Hi, Simon. It's all good. Thank you. No complaints. Yeah, Happy to be here with you guys. It's good to see you again, Stu, because it's been a while, hasn't it? I think COVID, was it? We had the last time we had a little chat off the back of that business networking group. And obviously, we've touched base in between there. But it's good to see you virtually again, Um, you know, and really looking forward to this conversation and getting to learn a little bit more about your background and where you're going from or to and you know your aspirations for the future so uh yeah this, this is one we're, we're looking forward to so uh do you want to just take our listeners through uh, where you've started and you know what's brought you to where you are today so take mm-hmm. as long as you want mate we're all ears yeah no worries okay so yeah i am stuart wade i am a clinical hypnotherapist and sports performance mind coach that's my business that's what I'm focusing most of my time on when I'm not exercising and training myself. And my journey into what I'm doing now with hindsight, it kind of makes sense. But at the time, I didn't necessarily see this as the path that I was going to go down. So I will start at the beginning. And I started training in martial arts when I was six. So my my parents enrolled me in a local taekwondo class and I I was a a big Bruce Lee fan, even at that age, Mm. you know, (laughs) my dad was a big Bruce Lee fan when he was at school. It was the big Bruce Lee boom and all, you know, all of that. And I remember him telling me about doing flying sidekicks across the common room with his mates and all all this kind of thing. (laughs) So, so I, I was introduced to the films at a very young age. So Enter the Dragon is still one of my favorite yeah, films. Yeah. And so I, I got enrolled, as I say, in a local Taekwondo class. And I took to it very well. Mm. You know, I had a natural sort of aptitude for it. I didn't really like, in all honesty, I didn't really like the competition side of things when I was that age. I enjoyed mm-hmm. learning the techniques and I was quite proficient at it. And I enjoyed going through the belt system. Competition wasn't love of mine then Mm -hmm. but i was competing anyway didn't have a lot of success at that age but it got better as i got older so i kept training and i passed my black belt on the second attempt at the well i was just under nine years old it was just before my ninth birthday and the first the first time was a big wake-up call for me because i was I was told by my instructors at the time that I would quote unquote walk it. And so I, you know, thought, Oh, great. I'll just go in and do what I do, you know? Mm. And, and I failed along Mm -hmm. with a lot of the students from my local town. There was Mm -hmm. probably 30 of us on a coach that went down, down South to Stevenage to test and three from Doncaster passed out of 30 or so so it was a really tough day and i was heartbroken absolutely heartbroken but it almost put a chip on my my shoulder to where i'm not going to let that happen again Mm -hmm. and when i retested i passed and i've never failed a grading since 
going forwards, as I got to sort of 11, 12 years old, I started enjoying competition a bit more and I started having more success with it. And when I was 13 years old, that was the first time that I got selected to represent Great Britain at the French Open in Paris. Mm -hmm. And I, I think, if I remember right, pretty much every year from then until my early to mid 20s, when I kind of stepped away from competing, I represented England or Great Britain in some form or another in, in an international tournament every year. And when I was 16 or 17, I picked up a visualization practice from somewhere. I don't mm -hmm. remember where, don't remember why, but I started implementing it into my competition regime. So I'd go do my physical warm up, get my body moving, wake up the system. And I'd find somewhere quiet and just close my eyes and just visualize what I wanted to do out there in the competition, in the tournament. And the vast majority of the time, I just found that it just put me in the right frame of mind to go out and compete to the best of my ability. The results didn't always go my way. Mm -hmm. some, some of it was outside of my control, but I always felt that I gave the best effort that I could in that time from being in that right mindset fast forward a little bit i went to uni and did a degree in sports science and my career path after that was going to be a personal trainer so i graduated um in the july i believe it was and i went straight on to a personal trainer qualification qualified as a personal trainer pretty quickly within a few months and I went self-employed straight away. Now, at this point, I was still competing at, at a high level and I actually went through a phase where my uh, sorry, my confidence got shaken in my fitness. And once again, hindsight is a wonderful thing. I could have been training more smartly I could have been fueling my body better, mm -hmm. but it was my mentality that was affected by getting fatigued in a few competitions consecutively. And to the point where I would be going in thinking, oh God, is it going to happen again? Mm -hmm. Am I going to end up losing again because of my fitness? And of course it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, what you focus on, you tend to bring about. And I got referred to a hypnotherapist by a friend of mine. Now, I, I'd never really looked into hypnotherapy as a discipline. A third of my degree at uni was sports psychology. So mm -hmm. I had some, theor some theoretical knowledge of sports psychology and the principles behind it. And obviously having done the visualization before, so I was on board, but the hypnotherapy side of things seemed a little bit weird and a bit out there. But I was willing to give it a go. Why not? And I saw this guy and it just shifted my mindset completely. And I found the whole thing fascinating. So it really opened my eyes to it, hypnotherapy as a discipline. And subsequently I ended up performing better in competition and was mm -hmm. able to get out of my head and stop worrying about my fitness and just focus on the task at hand. Now fast forward a little bit more and the beginning of 2013, it was, 
I was going through a few personal issues, you know, and I was reading the Sunday Mirror newspaper and there was a two page article in the middle by Paul McKenna about his new book on this technique called havening, which I'd never heard of, found the article fascinating. And there was a little column down the right hand side that was a competition. And Paul was going to select three people from anywhere in the UK to come to his house in central London and for him to do the havening technique with you then and there. And so because of the, the frame of mind that I was in, I thought, well, what the hell? I'm going to enter. <laughs> and as luck would have it, I got picked. And so <laughs> I went I went down there. Paul and I got along very well due to a mutual admiration of Bruce Lee. And I didn't know he was a fan before meeting him in person. So we, we had that uh, straight off the bat. And he did this havening technique with me. And it, it was very profound as to how, again, how it shifted my mindset very quickly. And that was the light bulb moment for me to where I said to him, look, I want to study this stuff. I want to get qualified in this. And I, I just find the whole thing fascinating. And, and with how much it, it, it had shifted my mindset so quickly, mm -hmm. I, I was just, I was all in. I needed to to learn this stuff for myself and then maybe I could help other people with it. And so I, he said to me, look, you should study. First of all, you should study the NLP. So neuro linguistic programming practitioner qualification with Dr. Richard Bandler, because he's my mentor. He taught mm -hmm. me everything that I know. So you should start there. So I did, I did that qualification with him in London and a bit like when I started martial arts, when I was six, I took to it very well. I, I understood how to use my voice. And naturally, I've got quite a good voice for mm -hmm. hypnosis and, and uh, that kind of thing. I'm quite, I've been told by a number of people that I'm quite a calming influence. And I was able to utilize that quite quickly. And as soon as I'd finished that qualification, through the wonders of Google ads, I started seeing adverts for a clinical hypnotherapist qualification that was running in my hometown. Mm. And they were offering a free taster weekend, go along, see what it's like, do some techniques, do some practice. And then of course, with, with a view to then booking on to do the full qualification. So I went along, loved it again, really resonated with me. And then crunch time came do you want to do the full thing? So of course I was like, yes, but can I afford to spend another two grand having just spent two and a half grand yeah. on this qualification so quickly, you know, and I did a bit of soul searching and uh, bank account searching. <laughs> and in I've the never end, heard that. <laughs> yeah, in, in the end, yeah, nothing, nothing illegal, might I add, just, yeah. just FYI, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I was just, I was just called to it. I thought I need to, I need to find the money. I need to do this because it is just really resonating with me and I can see how I can help more people with this. And so I bit the bullet and fast forward a year or so, I was fully qualified as a clinical hypnotherapist and I've been working with clients ever since. 
and expanding my knowledge base into other methodologies that are related mm-hmm. but slightly different approaches and yeah and now i specialize in working with athletes predominantly because of my sporting background and also stressed out business owners or stressed out corporate workers mm. who want to relax a bit be happier live healthier and ultimately improve their performance either in their sport or in their work and yeah that's that's where i'm at now that's that's a good place to be like thanks for sharing that journey i it, mm. it's it's incredible like uh where you started in terms of obviously you had mentioned obviously the taekwondo tournaments and things like that and that kind of that what you were saying about the competitive side of it that kind of had that impact on you do you think it could have been something around that that's pushed you to kind of where you are now in terms of what you're helping others to you know to get over or achieve is are those linked do you think in some way i think they are and it's it's only when i've been recounting my story to other people yeah to where thinking back to my my first black belt grading as i mentioned in my in my monologue there that failure as as it was termed mm. really did plant the seed of determination to not let that happen again and to build a bit of resilience within me mentally at such a young age and as i say from then building the competitive side of my martial arts career if you like and utilizing the visualization techniques that i practiced to help me perform better i think the seeds had been planted at various stages along the journey and it's almost a natural progression looking back now yeah yeah, yeah it, it it looks like it from from where i am in terms of what you went through that it, yeah it's it's incredible i know i, I the, the whole hypnotherapy world is something that i've i've not fully dipped my toe in but it's something yeah. that i've come across time and time again simon have, is this something you've ever got involved in um i've heard of visualization we used to use self-talk in football, football coach development, you know, especially with players, um, similar to, you know, how Stuart's outlined it there. What do I want today to look like in a way? What does I, my performance look and feel like? You know, is it me, you know, executing this technique in that way? Is it me making that first tackle? And um, then the self-talk when they're through the game or in the game around helping that concentration and focus around, you know, I just want to get my first touch right. I want to make my first pass a good a good one. So they then ease their way into the game. So I'm, I've heard a bit in the past. I've not been a practitioner in it. I would just encourage people to see it as an avenue, most definitely, to say, look, all of these tools exist, and it's about you finding which ones work best for you. Some people buy into um, different things, don't they? So I think you should always have that smorgasbord of things on offer to go, you know, um, if this is going to work for me, then who's to say it's right or wrong? And that, and that's what I love about, you know, um, that elite sport. And it, it, it's, it's great to hear how you came towards it because I used to do lots of work with teenagers. Um, and that confidence as you start to go through adolescence 
and competition does become stronger, but then also your self-awareness and also you start to think about how others view you in the world a little bit more. And that can then start to affect your performances because you become that self-conscious a little bit. Because it's always fascinated me because someone with a, a really high level of, a, you know, sporting prowess, that confidence, how does it become shaken? And like yeah. you said, you, you started to question, am I fit enough? At, well, I imagine you probably were fit as a fiddle. Yeah, you know, so yeah. um, am I doing the things right? So how does that creep in, do you think? You know, what, what yeah. sort of insights could you share with, did it come up gradually or, you know, all of a sudden, you know, you you started to get that, that self-doubt? For me personally, I think it was an accumulation of my performances in a number of tournaments in a fairly concise time frame so it was something that happened over and over like i say in a well in a fairly quick succession and so i didn't really have the time mm. to logically rationalize it and process it and think right let's address this by training differently or modifying the diet or whatever it might be or doing some kind of mental work let's say mm. so for me it's it took hold quite quickly in that respect but everybody's different genuinely mm. it can it can happen in an instant almost it could be a more gradual thing uh for example a client of mine that i i had a few years ago who was a, a cricketer yeah and he he'd played the game his whole life to a good standard always loved it always been good at it and one aspect of one game didn't go well one mm -hmm. time and it just shook his confidence mm -hmm. to the point where he was thinking about quitting the game and he'd done it his entire life you know wow. and and so and he, he was a great all-rounder so, and it wasn't even all the aspects it was just bowling mm. he just had one game where the bowling just did not go to plan whatsoever and it was and he went through technical aspects with the coaches it wasn't anything technical he described it as like a mental block something had happened in his psyche that just put the brakes on and as i say it affected him to the point where he was thinking about quitting the sport and it was kind of a last resort to come and see me to see if i could help him sort this out and fortunately he was a good student you know he did as he was did as i asked him to do and he worked with me in the process and he he went on to play the best he's ever played after after mm. we worked together so it really does depend on the individual it could be a gradual build-up or it could be one instant where something happens that really mm. affects you and because there's that oh sorry Dave. um well, there's there's that element of perfectionism, isn't there, in elite performers? Um, and I would I just want to touch on this point before um, Dave just asked his question. The terminology that you used, failure, because um, I think failure is quite an interesting one. Because does that tell us um, how someone's language? Because you've touched on NLP, can shape the way that they approach and see the world. So I, you know, I work in the mental health field as well, delivering courses. 
And we know that if people sell, tell their sins negatively, like you said, it, it becomes your world, doesn't it? Like you outline. So this level of perfectionism of I must be the best, I must achieve, I can't fail. Does that on the flip side have that negative element of, well, actually, I'm telling myself quite unhelpful things here as well. And is perfectionism attainable within human beings? Probably too big a question, but I thought I'd throw it out there too. I think Simon's put you on the spot a bit last year. <laughs> well, speaking as a former perfectionist and still still having the odd uh, throwback to that, I think I, I don't think it's attainable mm. for for a kickoff. It, it is a fallacy in and of itself because who what is perfect mm -hmm. you know there's there's always going to be something that you can modify or maybe do differently or do better next time but i'll use an example of myself when i when i won the european championships in 2009 in rome i had about 20 seconds of joy after mm -hmm. winning that and then I started to pull my performance apart and think I was thinking, well, I could have done this better. I should have done that better. And, mm. you know, rather than actually enjoying the moment. Mm. And so I think it has positive elements in terms of driving you to improve, but perfection itself, I don't think it's achievable. And mm -hmm. it's, it's as you alluded to there, Simon, have, with the failure the use of the language is mm. so important and it's only since i've been doing this work where i've fully realized the the importance of language and self-talk as you say because failure is such a loaded word mm. and as as is perfection perfection both have so much pressure that they can put on you if you then start to do reaffirm them to yourself you know i cannot fail the very very act of saying i i can't fail i mustn't fail you're putting pressure on yourself but you're also focusing on the failure mm. rather you know if if it's i hear people in this sort of space that that say you know don't think about a pink elephant with yellow polka dots <laughs> and the, the first thing your mind has to do is think about that thing so you have a frame of reference to not think about it you yeah. know so by framing it focusing on the failure you're going to focus more on the failure so it is being aware of the terminology that you're using and then speaking to yourself in a positive frame reframe the word and framing it more in a process goal let's say, use the term goal mm -hmm. rather than the outcome that's that's another big thing because in sport sometimes the outcome is out of your control you can do everything you can do everything right as the athlete sometimes it's not going to go your way the other team or the opposition might just be better that day the referee might just not not be playing things in your favor mm. there's so many things that are outside of your control so all you can do is focus on doing the best that you can and the outcome will be what it'll be 
Mm -hmm. I hope that answers the question. I feel like I've gone yeah, on a yeah, little yeah. bit there. But. No, no, brilliant. I think that's a it's a good summary of of, of perfection. I think really what all I was going to say uh, was kind of following on from how you're describing the work you did there with the cricketer. I suppose my question is is it, people would have heard what you've said so far about you know how you can help people. I suppose what does that actually look like like what obviously you don't need to give the precise details of what you did in that case but what would what would helping someone in those or in any scenario look like how how does it look because i think people would like to get an idea of that because i think some mm. people get confused and say well this isn't for me because they don't really understand it i suppose so yeah what what's <laughs> what's the secret sauce i suppose well genuinely i treat every client as an individual and yes i have a a standard kind of playbook if you like but the first thing i do with a client is a consultation where i'll have them run through a fairly extensive questionnaire and we'll talk about it and their answers for and, and we go for up, up to 90 minutes with this because the more that i can understand them what their issue is and what makes them tick the better i can help them and mm. some people will want the classic hypnosis approach not necessarily with you know dangling the pocket watch and all that kind of thing but they'll want to just sit down or lie down eyes closed and have me induce them into a hypnotic state and Oftentimes that is that is the approach that I go with, but sometimes that's not the best approach for certain people. It depends what resonates with them. They might be more active in their participation. It might be active visualization exercises or active reframing exercises where I'm talking them through exercises and techniques that they can do to reframe their perspective while they've got their eyes open and they're talking to me mm -hmm. it with with kids and i don't tend to work with with many kids nowadays but but when i do kids are almost easier to work with than adults in a way because kids can be in that very suggestible subconsciously dominant state of mind most of the day and so like the kids that i've worked with in the past i mean as an example, one kid who, who was a, a promising footballer and he was struggling with some confidence issues. And so we had a kickabout in his garden while I was talking to him and asking him to visualize, let's say, Ronaldo. Mm. How, what, how would Ronaldo do this? You know, just imagine you're stepping into his body and you're now him. How would he move? And, and then getting getting the child to enact how Ronaldo would dribble the ball or shoot at the goal, whatever it might be, because kids can really embody that with their eyes open, moving around, maybe more so than, than adults can. Mm. So the approach definitely varies depending on the person, but oftentimes people just want to, they, they want to say their piece in the consultation and then they want to shut up and let me talk at them for, mm -hmm the follow-up sessions and and in all honesty that's where the magic happens i want to get their conscious mind out of the way 
I'm not taking control of their mind. I'm not brainwashing them. It's definitely a partnership in this. Mm. They, they're the one that's in control. I'm just guiding them through the process. But oftentimes, as I say, they want to switch their brain off and just let me talk to the subconscious to allow them to rewire their neurology that way and their thoughts, feelings and behaviours. So do you ever use technology to help you achieve this? Because we had a really interesting guest, a clinical psychologist who works in prison, and she used this technology called Roshi Wave Glasses. I don't know if you've heard of them, okay. which you, you put them on for 20 or 30 minutes, and it has this light stimulation within it, um, which then um, puts you into a flow state. Now, I suppose your voice, does that sort of achieve the same sort of thing? Or, you know... Um, because she she advocates using it similar sort of client group elite athletes yeah. who may be having uh, challenges at that time or corporate people who are looking to you know like you said disconnect de-stress come away from some of their their, their um, challenges as well and so mm. the, these glasses would put you into a flow state where it you know you can then start to go right I've, I've achieved this sort of clarity and now where do I go with that? Um, so your thoughts on technology? Have you used anything? Do you think that was a, a good aid? It, I know you don't know anything about it, but, you know, uh, the, the just the, the premise of it to go, if people can wear these and also do that alongside the work they're getting with you to complement that, you know, do, do you see that as a positive or would you just need to learn more? You know, is it a question too vague? No, it's it's a great question and I'm all for it definitely mm. um I, i'm going to look those glasses up once you once we finish the <laughs> everyone podcast. says that <laughs> yeah but but that's the we thing because the same, I, yeah, yeah I, I do i do use some technology now and again depending mm -hmm. on what the client is like some people who are let's say they're more the more spiritual or they're more into the experience of it i probably wouldn't use technology i would just talk to them or maybe use some some sort of meditative music in the background perhaps mm -hmm. if someone's more analytical and they want they want facts and figures they want numbers i might use a biofeedback machine which i have which measures galvanic skin response and so i can bring in the numbers that they're achieving and to mm -hmm. almost get a little bit of a com competition going within themselves you know so you got to this level last time let's see if we can get a bit lower this time things like that. I also use binaural beats with people now and again, which which work from what you've said there, Simon. They, it sounds like they might work in a similar way to the mm -hmm. light glasses in terms of two different frequencies being played in each ear, respectively, and those waves cancelling each other out and then training the brain waves to a certain frequency ideally in the theta state or maybe the delta brainwave state to induce that relaxed hmm. parasympathetic state more quickly than mm -hmm. maybe they would be able to achieve just by listening to me talk let's say so it, it very much depends on the person but i'm all down for technology definitely well, we can definitely connect you with, you know, yeah. Naomi, and uh, you can have a conversation Please. with her because, you know, she runs her own podcast as well. And I think you'd have a great conversation because, like we said, she used to work in the prison service with psychopaths and trying to help them through trauma. 
um, you know, and now she's gone into private practice. So you, you probably would have a fascinating conversation mm. with her, to be honest. Yeah, please do. That that would be great. Thank you. See, I wanted to rewind a bit. So we talked, obviously, about you getting in, interested in in hypnotherapy and and those sorts of treatments. So, how, like the whole world of hypnotherapy, like how long has has this been around? Are we talking like as long as man has been on this earth, or you know, who was the first? Shall we say, <laughs> if that makes sense. <laughs> So I believe that it has been around a very, very long time, just in different guises. And the the kind of formalization of it as a discipline was with a guy called Milton Erickson in, I believe, the 1940s or 50s, if I remember correctly. And he, he was the one that kind of developed the discipline and really the use of language with his clients but before that there was a guy called franz anton mesmer in in france you've heard of being mesmerized that was yeah, yeah. from that's uh -huh. from his name and hmm. he used to think of it as if uh if if i'm remembering correctly i'll uh i'll, I'll have to check on my history after this but uh but he he thought it was a, a a phenomena that he termed animal magnetism to where he would be talking to his clients and he thought it was something magnetic that was going on that would induce this particular state and affect these changes but there's been numerous people and, and academics and scientists as well who have taken hypnosis and and developed it a little bit over the last couple of hundred years but it's it, it is a relatively young discipline but it's gaining more and more credence nowadays within the scientific community and within medicine as well from various mm. academic studies that are going on and it's 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 a great time to be doing it because there's more and more research and particularly tying it with neuroscience as well with fmri mm. studies that are going on and different eegs measuring meditative and hypnotic states it's um yeah it's definitely becoming more acceptable and less woo woo yeah. i and i'll probably show my age here but as i said like i've always been interested in it but i've never taken any further steps apart from I suppose I had, I did have a few Paul McKenna tapes actually, but I suppose my, but I suppose people like, I'm just early forties and Simon's not that much older us, but I suppose our first taste of hypnotherapy stuff was literally Paul McKenna getting people up on a stage. Um, and I'm not trying to say that in a negative way, but that kind of is what people, I think anyone over the age of probably about, maybe about 35 is probably remembers that I suppose with hypnotherapy, is there a lot of people out there that kind of dismiss it when you suggest it as kind of, I don't know, maybe like the getting people up on a stage, you know, pretending they're a dog or that I'm not, again, not trying to let me know, but are people, have they been kind of tainted by that's what, hypnotherapy is to them or they just think it's like you say woo woo <laughs> i mean yeah i mean that's the conception of and i i often use it as a joke as well as, mm. as kind of an opening line like oh I've, I've forgotten my pocket watch today guys sorry you know yeah. that, that kind of thing but 
that stage hypnotism is is mm. a very real thing and yeah. it's not the therapy that i do though but mm. like you say people are more familiar of that of that from seeing people like paul mckenna do it on stage yeah. and people like Darren brown use elements of it as well in his shows so it really depends on the person i think as to whether that taints their view of it and yeah and they'll they'll just dismiss it as fake or a gimmick mm. but it also in my experience again this is just me personally as a therapist because because of the circles that i've grown up in with with martial arts and training with you know macho guys who were you know punching and kicking each other in the face at a high level you know for maybe for a living if they're professionals or or just at a high amateur level because i'm one of them it it almost gives it a little bit more credence when i say that yeah. i do it because they're like oh you you do that so it's real mm. then I'm like yeah it is you know because they know obviously me personally and and the success i've had within martial arts and i i not only subscribe to the sporting side of martial arts but but very much the traditional values and i i want to have integrity mm -hmm. with what i'm doing and i wouldn't be doing this if i didn't believe in it and i didn't think that it was a legitimate beneficial therapy call it a therapy or modality for people to improve their lives with and yeah if people are open to a conversation about it i'm i'm more than i never try and convince anyone of anything i'll i'll, mm -hmm. I'll tell you my perception of it if it resonates great if it doesn't it is what it is like you said earlier simon it's finding the methodology that that seems to resonate the best with you and if it's this great if it's not great find some mm -hmm. you know you you find something else whether it's sports psychology or cbt you name it yeah yeah so me and dave always ask about what's someone's most proud moment and you mentioned winning the european championships in 2008 and straight away i thought oh that's got to be immensely proud but then you followed it up with i was ripping it to pieces about 20 minutes yeah. later <laughs> so I, i'm just trying to think you know when you achieve those high levels of performance it feels a little bit tainted in that experience because you started to not enjoy it as much and embrace it so what what would you advocate to someone who is this high performer to try and strike that balance so you're not getting too high you're not getting too low but you're enjoying more of that process that journey that we're on because this is a big thing for us that we like people to share is these journeys that people are on how do we share how people manage that because could you give us a bit more context of that 2008 win and you know what that felt like and then where you went with that because like i say yeah. for me straight away immensely proud and i imagine you were but then go into that other place on the perfectionism scale and you know just trying to you know pick the bones out of it could you give us a little bit more around that hmm. so i think the big thing that i could reiterate to people who are competing in at a high level not ne not even necessarily a high level to be fair if they're if they're competing in something that they really want to achieve 
be present with the process and enjoy the successes don't don't focus so much on the big big goal or the next thing so that you end up missing out on enjoying the success that you have because with hindsight i would have spent a little bit more time enjoying what i'd just done because it you know it's been a lot of hard work i mean i've i've looking back again with hindsight i have had a hell of a lot of success throughout my martial arts career but and and right from passing the black belt the first time after the initial failure mm. to to then you know getting picked for great britain a number of times four-time world champion um i was i was voted the junior sports personality of the year for doncaster where i'm from things things like that and, and U, uk martial arts hall of fame i was inducted into that a number of years ago and it's it's only now that i've gotten older and i've i'm a little bit removed from it where i actually look back and think yeah actually that that was a, a big thing hmm. i should have enjoyed it a bit more instead of just thinking about the next thing so while it's great to have that big goal and to be on that path don't forget to enjoy the successes and the steps along the way because more often than not it's going to keep fueling you even more because if you're that type of person where you've got that big goal you're unlikely to have that bit of success and then get complacent and then get lazy mm. and whatnot it's more than likely going to keep spurring you on and I, I i'm a big fan of david goggins and uh he advocates what he calls going into the cookie jar so when when things are getting hard you know if the if the training's getting hard and we've we've all been there if we've if we're pushing and competing at a certain level and there's things that we want to accomplish we've all been there when it's hard and you're struggling and you feel like you kind of want to quit but having something that you can then draw upon some kind of resource to enable you to keep pushing when the times get hard that's something really important as well so as i say celebrating those moments of success and then progressing on from that use it as a springboard to continue mm. on and then when the time is getting tough here just think back to that time and how good it felt in that moment to achieve that thing because neurologically biochemically you're going to want to feel that again and mm -hmm. so it's going to help you to keep progressing on in my opinion on that subject of the that cookie jar kind of concept that david goggins uh kind of talks about he must have a hell of a cookie jar. That's the only thing based on what he's achieved. Like, how how does like from your view, you know, what I'd say is an expert's view, looking on someone like him, how do you get someone to do the kind of things that he did, or I suppose make the changes or do the things he took on, kind of when when he you know when he did his ultra marathons and and obviously all the things he's achieved. How how does someone like that or how do you help someone to get to something like that because it's incredible the things he has achieved it, it's a really interesting question dave because he 
he's a bit of a psychopath in all yeah. honesty like he, <laughs> i think i think there's know, no disputing that one yeah he, he is he's crazy but i love him for it and uh, yeah. i i actually met him um last year and that that was that was amazing Re real fangirl moment for me but um but yeah so with with him he draws on all the negative experiences from his past yeah he uses that as a fuel and with with nlp in particular where and it's probably similar in sports psychology and other related disciplines typically you might be a more away from person or a towards success person so you get away from pain towards success i would argue that more people are going to be leaning on the former side to want to mm. get away from pain and especially mm. as adults we only tend to learn <clears throat> through pain annoyingly but it's utilizing what motivates you and if if you've had a bunch of bad experiences like goggins has had throughout his life real yeah. real traumatic stuff he used that as the fuel to propel him forward because he didn't want to experience that anymore you know when he was morbidly obese and spraying for the cockroaches you know on the night shift and he just did not want that to be his life he, th he thought it would be like no and he wanted to get into the military and he wanted to achieve these things because he didn't want to be stuck in that place he didn't want his past to define him so it really depends on the type of person that you are if you're motivated to achieve the success in front of you or if you're motivated to get away from the stuff behind you and tapping into that and finding that reason why that's that's going to be key in keeping you moving forwards I think when you look at it like that it all kind of falls into place looking at david goggins again i suppose uh, one question about when you met him i take it was he just doing press ups chin ups or just i, I can't imagine that man ever stands still or <laughs> just uh, constant well he he was stood still when i met him it was a meet and greet thing at uh, uh, at the arnold sports festival last year in birmingham but I, I've I've never been into a a talk, let's say, run by any any kind of expert in anything. And the person on stage has said, "Right, everybody, stand up, get your chairs out the way, twenty press ups." And there were you know a couple thousand people in there, and we, there was no room, you know, so everybody was yeah. just crammed in like sardines, and we're all just doing these press ups. And he was doing them on stage as well, you know, he he was. He practices what he preaches. You can't uh, can't deny that. So yeah, <laughs> I think I would have been disappointed if he hadn't got people to do that. <laughs> me <too>. like, uh, <laughs> yeah, me too. It was very on brand. Yeah, yeah. It's just you when um, you talk about challenging moments. What what would you say is one of the biggest challenges you've had to work through? That you know, either you've applied some of your learnings to help you, or you found another way because uh, I think those insights um, really help the listeners who may be facing their own challenges at the moment and want that inspiration from someone who's, who's gone through something. So is there something you could share on that? Well, the biggest thing that comes to mind with that, Simon, is when I first sought out hypnotherapy myself as a client, mm -hmm. 
because by that time i'd already had a lot of success in my martial arts competitive career and i'd never really experienced something that had knocked me so much in terms of my my confidence with it and my approach because logically i know i've got all this success behind me and i've got this black belt around my waist and all these these accolades and whatnot but that didn't matter mm. in that moment and it was it was like right well i'm already training pretty hard my diet's okay you know could, could have been better as i said but for me it was then looking outside of the box to kind of take the blinkers off and see what else is available mm -hmm. that could help because it's very easy to get trapped in that narrow mindset and not see the wood for the trees mm. so i would i would say have a look what's out there see it if and, and it can be it can be off completely off your own back you know do a google search for people in a similar position or if you people in your circle have been through similar sort of difficulties and don't be afraid to think of something outside of the box like in my case hypnotherapy was and be open to the possibility that whatever that thing is could really help you it's it's very much having that open mindset to mm. the possibilities is what will help to get you out of it whatever way you choose to go to help yourself yeah uh, i hope that answers the question um yeah it does in a way because uh, i suppose the the next element to this is i know that some uh, elite performers especially sports people that is their identity mm. you know so they identify as so did you identify as this world leading martial artist and then when that started to be you know pressure tested um in different ways did your identity start to find it a challenge did you start to go oh hang about um i'm supposed to be this guy or i am this guy what's happening and what were the effects of that if that did happen yeah absolutely my my identity was very much wrapped around me as the martial artist mm. and it is a bit of a sobering moment when your sense of self is shaken mm. like that and you do start to question things and you do start to have those doubts and those little voices in the back of your mind starting to say well you know maybe it's not you this maybe you're not good mm. enough to do this and it's it's easy with hindsight to say you know don't listen to the voices and, and that kind of thing but it does tie back into what we were saying about about the cookie jar before looking back on the successes that you've had just to, just to remind yourself and have that presence of mind to take what you need to from those successes but also realizing that your self-worth is not just about that thing and mm. that's that's a big part of what i do with my clients it's 
yes, I want to help them overcome whatever the issue is and I want them to perform better and win more and all of the good stuff that comes with that. But I want to validate their self-worth. I want to boost their self-esteem to where they don't necessarily need the sport. You know, it's mm. it's it's boosting that sense of self so that you can then choose to do whatever you want to do. But it's 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 difficult when that gets shaken mm -hmm. to that point. And it, it is a very sobering moment, as I say. So doing, it could even be reminding yourself of, of the things that you've done outside of the sport and other, other avenues, things that you're good at, because we're, we've all, all multi-talented. We've all got lots of different things going for us. And so maybe it's, a time to remind yourself of those other things as well but i would always suggest seeking out a professional mm -hmm. to help to get it out of your own head as much mm. as anything write e even if you can't do that write it down on paper metacognition get it down on paper and then analyze it and see if it's a valid belief or mm. thought pattern whatever it is and is it valid? Okay. Can I change it? Yes. No. And ass assess the options, break it down and see, see how that leads you. Because oftentimes just getting it out of your head and written handwritten down on paper is such a powerful exercise to stop these negative thoughts swirling around between your ears. Mm. No, that's great. Thank you for that. The, um, obviously, and again, I'm jumping back a bit. I uh, seem to keep doing this. Uh, and this might be a, I don't know. It, it, we've talked about obviously hindsight being uh, the wonderful thing, but what you now know, I suppose, in terms of the skills that you're helping your clients with now, how do you think your, shall we say, taekwondo career would have been like if you had that skill set? I know it's 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 a this is not possible but when you you know when you started out on that journey could you see where you got to being different or you know how how do you foresee that that your skill set could have helped you better when you were competing yeah it's it's always interesting isn't it looking back like this what if and yeah. in all honesty i think i think it would have helped me yeah in terms of I, I don't know whether I'd have been more successful, mm. but my mindset would have been better on the journey, I think. And as, we, as we've alluded to a couple of times with things like celebrating the successes more yeah, rather than just, okay, on to the next one. And that, I mean, I, I would like to think that I, I would have had more success. I mm. probably would have been happier throughout the whole journey <laughs> if, if i'd have actually you you know used and known about what i know and use now yeah do you think like and i'm just thinking this from hearing other sports people do you think if you had i, I suppose kind of the angle i'm taking with this is really if you had a, um like any sportsman you know their body is a key part of what they are but also obviously their mind as well. But obviously a lot of sports people kind of neglect the mind side of it. But do you think if sports people did actually focus a bit more on that mind, 
do you think they could see i don't know like a prolonged career in in the sporting world or do you think it's all about the physical you know their fit their body and then when that kind of stops working to the high level that's when they move on from that sporting world it's it's an interesting question because you often hear with athletes who are operating at a high level and they, they talk about uh, you know pick, pick an arbitrary number but you often hear it's 90 percent mental and 10 percent physical and that that yeah. kind of thing I don't, I don't necessarily subscribe to those numbers, but the mental side of things is massive, 100%. Mm. And I think they could prolong their careers if they ad adopt as much effort into the mental side of things as the physical side of things, because there are more and more studies being, being done now into the effects of visualization and other things actually on physical parameters. And I, I was actually listening to another podcast the other day, and the guest was a neuroscientist called Dr. Tara Swart, and she, she's a former psychiatrist and now neuroscientist. She's got, got more qualifications than, uh, than I've had hot dinners. But she was talking about a study that had been done at a university in America, I forget which one, where they were analyzing the effects of visualization on strength physical strength and they had the control group that were following a particular weight training program for it was either a month or three months and then they had another group that were doing the same training program but they were also doing visualization for lifting the weights and feel it and feeling the weights because that's that's a big part of visualization that you don't hear about very often that I always encourage my clients use all your senses. The more senses you can engage, the more you're in essence, tricking your brain into believing that that experience is real. And so the, this particular group were visualizing as well as doing the physical work and the group that visualized gained on average 15% more strength in that training block than the group that were just doing the lifting. That's quite a sizable and amount, yeah. Absolutely. And so that's just one example of numbers that are now being studied in universities around the world as to how your mind can actually affect you physically as well. And so if you're an elite sports person, it could be the fitness aspect of it. If, you, if you're needing to get stronger, visualize lifting the heavier weights if it's a technical thing run through that particular technique in your mind and get it to where it is unconscious you're, you're completely unconsciously competent at it in your mind and you go out and do it it's it's so important like you say to prolong your career in my opinion but then also to help you perform to your absolute best while you're doing it mm. yeah so what sort of age do you think you could start drip feeding some of these things into children? Because um, I used to work in schools a lot, delivering PE lessons after school clubs, that type of stuff. And listening here, I'm going, we definitely focus on the physical, the social development. Mm -hmm. but how much are we equipping young people with the capacity to cope and coping strategies um, and using sport as a vehicle to do that? Because I'm listening to what you're saying and I'm thinking, well, surely 
this could be applied within a school context because we're seeing epidemic levels in certain areas of children suffering or experiencing anxiety, etc. But I'm listening to this and I'm thinking within PE, within physical activity, this is something that could combine and it doesn't have to be hypnotherapy, but some of the other tools that you're talking about, which, you know, link to like CBT, reframing, that type of stuff could be quite a powerful thing. Do you have any thoughts on that at all, Stu? Oh, I, I think this should be included in whatever mm. guys that is, as you say, from day one. Mm. Because in, again, in hypnotherapy, we're taught that from the day that you're born, and there's, there's also arguments as to even before that, that children are picking up everything around them. This is why we, we, we say that kids are, or why I say that kids are great subjects for hypnotherapy, because they're already in that subconscious state until they're about nine years old before they develop the critical faculties. They're kind of like a sponge and mm -hmm. they're just absorbing everything around them, good, bad, indifferent. And so if when they are at that really impressionable age, if we can be, as you say, Simon, drip feeding them the positive things mm. about, I, I would argue the, the main thing is about self-esteem and the self-worth at that mm. point. Mm. Just drip feed that in, in, in schooling. I think it would make a world of difference and for, for parents as well. And I'll, I'll use an example of a friend of mine who he he is a, he's an ex premiership footballer. Mm -hmm. he, he's retired. Uh, he's been retired a few years now. But his his son is an aspiring tennis player. He's he's really good mm. for for his age. He's only he's only seven, I believe. And I, I've had conversations with my clients about the mental side of things, and and he said that they they being him, him and his wife made a bit of a mistake when they first got the youngster into tennis because they were rewarding him based on his performances in matches. Mm. If he won, then, you know, he'd get praise and whatnot. And, and he said, with hindsight, we shouldn't really have done that. We should just focused on, should have focused on him playing his best. Yeah. And, and that's the thing because he's at that age where He's so impressionable. So you don't want him to be thinking, well, I, I'm worthy if I'm winning. If I'm losing, mm. I'm I'm rubbish. I'm I'm no good. And and having that affect his self-esteem. And it is so important when kids are that age to as you just and drip feed is a great word for it, because it doesn't have to be just all the time in, in your face. You plant the seeds with them. Mm. And it's it can really set them up then to be confident, happy, and aspirational young adults and adults going on into the rest of their lives. It, it is so important. Mm. Mm. Because I, I know that Sport England uh, do partner with organisations around trying to combine mental health and well-being with physical activity. And you just think, I haven't seen this sort of focus um, you know, there might be some sporadic things, some episodic things in pockets, but you think there's almost um, a need for organisations, national charities, whatever it could be, where they tap into the likes of your expertise or others in the field who do similar to you 
to go, well, how do we roll out some sort of training program for these grassroots coaches that they can apply some safe, basic level fundamentals around not hypnotherapy, but techniques or tools, maybe hypnotherapy, but I think you need to be an expert to be able to do that properly. But where we could drip feed some thing in that would benefit the young people, uh, especially if we're trying to protect their mental health and well-being and give them coping strategies. You think, well, surely if we're going to take a proactive approach rather than be reactive, because we know that reactive is a lot more costly because someone's become unwell. Um, you know, why is this not happening? Have you heard of it happening anywhere? I haven't come across it myself, but, um, you know, do you have any thoughts on that? I, I haven't heard about anything like that happening. Mm. And as you say, prevention is always cheaper than the cure. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think most likely it's going to come down to money mm. and funding. That's I think that's going to be the stumbling block with it, in all honesty. And without without getting into politics and, and all, all of that kind of thing and, and education as a whole... I think the resources are probably pretty tapped out with curriculums as it stands and the budget for things like mental health, though it probably is going to be growing because it's mm. more in the public consciousness now. And especially, especially since, since kind of COVID really mm. where people's mental health is at the forefront, I think it hasn't quite got to the point where the powers that be are really focused on the mental health and well-being of children mm. and it it does need to change but unfortunately i think it, it comes down to money at the end of the day because one of the the, the the most fascinating when i used to work in london for fulham football club and um, we used to partner with a, a a company called greenhouse on certain things and their very best coaches that i come across um, well, martial artists who taught judo, you know, because there's a plethora of football coaches out there. You know, there's there's so many on the ground. The the quality of that can hit peaks and troughs like most things. But I always saw consistently high judo teaching um, from the the person, more holistic approach, you know, their manner with the person that they were coaching was second to none, which then allowed connection, which then allowed you to build and develop uh, relationships to stretch and challenge. So I look at it and I go, I think martial artists are not represented enough in the school space um, to say, well, look, let's do more of this. Now, big cities like London may have it more, but you think, well, that's great for, for big cities like London. But what about these regional places? So are you still connected with Taekwondo to a good level? And would you be able to influence a pilot to see, you know, if there'd be any sort of um, uptake for it? Because I imagine once they started to see the results on young people's mental health and well-being, their confidence and competence levels around, even if it was just self-defense, not becoming Taekwondo experts, you would think that has got to be a positive um, because young people, the fear, you know, and we don't want to put fear in people's minds, but stabbings just seem to be so far spread. If someone learned enough to self-defense, confidence, to then escape, you think surely it can play a, a variety of different roles across society, um, but also 
equip them with the capacity to cope with life's challenges um, and not become unwell. Because I look on the horizon in five to 10 years, and I think if we don't do something, what sort of adults will we have um, coming into the workspace and society? Uh, will they be able to cope? And I think there is a real need to try and equip them with some of these skills. So it, do you think you'd be able to look at that or influence any of that in the, the work that you do? Quite possibly. I have still a number of connections in the martial arts world. I've not I've not competed for a little while, as I said earlier, due to work commitments, but mm. I do train when I can. And as I say, I've got a lot of co uh, connections. So it, it certainly would be something worth exploring, I think, because I, I am such a big advocate of martial arts training for anyone. Mm. And I, I was saying this to somebody yesterday and for kids to get into martial arts at a young age, not with the view to competing and going mm -hmm. after medals and trophies and things like that. Obviously, if they want to, great. But for boosting their confidence, teaching them the basics of self-defense, mm. because it is so important in this day and age. And whether or not, um, like you said, stabbings or other crime statistics, things like that have, have gone up compared to the past i'm not entirely sure i've not read up mm. on that enough but if you if you can have that confidence to be able to deal with the situation as best that you can mm -hmm. it's only going to stand you in good stead as you get older and particularly for young girls mm. i think more so than boys and 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 women as well and you do hear of ladies self-defense classes popping up and mm. things like that which is so so important with with all the, the spate of attacks on women in recent years it's it, you know rightly or wrongly it warms my heart when i see a video online of some creepy guy trying to attack a woman and she destroys him with some kind of martial art you know yeah. that's that's what we want you know because particularly women who might be viewed as a bit more vulnerable or children that might be viewed as a bit more vulnerable if they've got some skill to be mm. able to deal with a potential attacker in the quickest most efficient way and they have the confidence to do so it is mm. so important but yeah you do hear about thing schemes like that going on but mm. as you say simon it's not widespread mm. it's not across the board and i think it would be a great move for martial arts school owners the country over to really reach out to the local authorities and whatnot and see if they can get some kind of program going with the local primary schools for example mm -hmm. even, even high schools as well you know it's never yeah. too late it's never too late to start so uh yeah it's a good idea definitely mm -hmm. i suppose that kind of as a fairly new father to a son i suppose for people listening with the light bulbs gone off in their head i'm sure as well is what's I, I suppose what age do you get children involved in martial arts and and what kind of where, where do you start i suppose it really depends and i personally started when i was six years old um i can't remember how it how it really was in terms of the mm. format back then it's a bit of a bit of a while ago but in terms of when i was when i was teaching 
not quite full time, but sort of four yeah. days a week. The youngest children that we would work with would be three and four year olds. Mm. And in all honesty, with at that age group, it's as much about playing games and having fun as it is mm -hmm. learning martial arts techniques because they, they don't fully appreciate at that age what we're yeah. doing. So it is really about making it fun for them and mm -hmm. keeping that engagement. And then as they get older, then we've got the foundations there. But when they're at the point where they really understand what they're doing, then we can get into the real technical nitty gritty of things. So it depends on the individual to be honest but if if your local martial arts club is taking three and four year olds mm. and you want to get your child active and doing something fun that they might enjoy by all means take them down and see if it's something that they that they enjoy doing but yeah. i will caveat that with make sure you do your research on the club and the style of martial arts because it's it's very important as well that as the parents they've got to be confident that their child is going into the right environment and mm. they're going to be safe. They're going to be protected and they're not going to be, you know, thrown around or anything like that. It's, it's wants to be the most positive, encouraging environment for the child to nurture them in that, that space. Mm -hmm. But yeah, do your research. That's, that's my takeaway from that. That's good to know. So we've had lots of um, inspirational guests on, as you'd expect from a, a podcast about inspiration. Now, some of these um, mentor others. Um, so have you had a mentor that's really helped you beyond McKenna? Um, but is that something you also look to do as you grow and develop your practice? Do you look to take people under your wing? Because I'm sure someone would be listening to this and go, you know what, I, I've really liked listening to Stu's story. I'd like to um, reach out and see, you know, would he be able to give me some advice, some tips, or, you know, is there a program that you might establish in the future where you may, you know, support a mentee through a year of this ongoing thing? Is, is that something that's on the horizon for you or ever might be? It's not on the horizon for me, but it's definitely something I'm open to. Mm. Yeah, I'm I'm very happy to pass on what I've learned to other people and share my my experiences. And if I can help shortcut them, you know, to to getting further along in a quicker space of time, I'm I'm more than happy to help others with that. And in terms of myself having a mentor, I didn't formally have a mentor, but mm the the person that i often refer to as my mentor was the a guy called carl who was my trainer on the hypnotherapy course that i qualified in after i'd done the nlp one mm -hmm. he unfortunately he he passed away a few years ago but he was very much my compass to follow essentially with with hypnotherapy he was very much a maverick he didn't mm -hmm. necessarily do things by the book he had some interesting approaches to things but he also drew on a lot of his life experience and related it to hypnotherapy as well and he and i got became very close and there was there was myself and another lady on the course who myself her and carl really got along together and to the point where 
he would refer to us as his hypno kids, you know, <laughs> and and vice and vice versa. We'd refer to him as our hypno dad, you know. Yeah. And uh, he was very much an inspiration for me in in terms of not just teaching me the mechanics of hypnotherapy and how it worked, but also just how to be a, a happier, healthier person. Hmm. And so I think it it is a good thing if you can find somebody to mentor you or, or for you to be a mentee of but if you can't because there's people out there that charge a fortune to be a mentor as mm. well listening to podcasts like this one other podcasts in the personal development space to expand your knowledge and to listen to people who've been there done that and got the t-shirt and just take their learnings you know mm. take it on board I, I advocate the bruce lee approach take what's useful to you discard what isn't and it, it's all out there it, it's all out there you've just got to look for it if you could signpost some people to what you would say is trusted sources um you know is there certain things because i think as you said on there's a there's a lot of salespeople out in the world there and we want to sort the wheat from the chaff as best we can so is there something where you go well these are recognized as industry standard good in what you do so if someone was listening they might be able to google that and you know we can share it a little bit later in the, the notes potentially as well it's a good question um i think you you've got your your big names in in hypnotherapy specifically like paul mckenna as we talked mm. about earlier you've got Dr. Richard Bandler in the NLP space. You've got Marissa Peer as well, who's a very prominent hypnotherapist. It depends what you're looking to get out of it because all these people are selling courses and selling mm. different products and services. If you're wanting to do want, do some kind of paid program like that, I would I would highly recommend anybody do it if it speaks to them. Mm -hmm. But what I tend to do is look for the research as well, the scientific research. So Google Scholar is a great resource for looking up the peer-reviewed academic papers mm. to get it from the horse's mouth of the scientists and the academics that are conducting research as well. And you know that they're probably not going to be trying to sell you anything, so there's not going to be a sales yeah. pitch there. You know, I'm I'm very much... I'm not anti-sales, but I don't like being hard sold to. Mm, and yeah. as soon as someone goes into that sales pitch with me, I kind of switch mm -hmm. off. Yeah. yeah. You know, I'm I'm very I'm very much of the mind where I will assess all of this information objectively and I will make my own decision as to whether it's the right fit for me. I don't need to be sold to with it. Yeah. Some people want to be sold to, whether whether they realize it or not, you know, they, they need to get that be led on that journey yeah mm -hmm. it depends on the type of person that you are but yeah i would say look at do a google search for your big people tony robbins as well people like that who mm. are really big in the personal development space but if you want to understand a bit more of the science google scholar and um exact i think it's examine.com i think I've, I've not i've not actually yeah. used that myself but i've heard it come up on a few podcasts that i listen to so uh that's another one for peer-reviewed research to get into the nitty-gritty of the information mm -hmm. i suppose talking about obviously mentors things like that we we ask our guests if there's i suppose 
a mantra or a poem or or a, a you know a, anything that you live by now obviously we've talked about the impact of bruce lee on your life but uh, <laughs> it, it, it's what is there such a thing i suppose that you've lived by throughout obviously this whole where you've got to now in all honesty i don't recall something mm. that i've lived by going through my life for the most part yeah but something that really speaks to me now probably because i utilized it not necessarily in the right way when i was younger is the phrase comparison is the thief of joy and that's yeah, something yeah. <laughs> that's something that i i reiterate to myself as well yeah. even even now if i get if i get stuck in that loop of comparing myself to other people mm. it's it's not necessarily a healthy way of looking at things because there's always going to be someone out there that's better than you that's smarter that's better yeah. looking whatever it is and so if you go looking for it chances are you're going to find it and you're just going to make yourself feel bad so yeah it's it's good if you can use it as a source of motivation or you have the self-awareness to reflect back on something positive that you have that that person doesn't have i i i often chuckle with um what my brother used to say with this my brother he's um he's he's a good runner he he was south yorkshire 800 meters champion and he was a really competitive track and middle distance runner and he's still running now just hasn't competed as much with injuries and whatnot and he he would look at someone else let's say let's say usain bolt for example you know and he he would say you know yes he can he can run 100 meters in under 10 seconds but um could he do 800 meters in under two minutes probably yeah. not you know and and, and that, so he would always flip it to where yeah he's got that but i've got this yeah and i think that's quite a good way of, of dealing yes, with that, that, with that comparison you know <laughs> so uh, so yeah shout out to simon for that one that's a brilliant way to look at it actually it, i suppose the nearest i've come across that same kind of way of looking at it is like with football where they say you know can they do it on a tuesday night on a wet uh, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> evening in stoke or whatever but um no that's and especially in like the world we live in now where i suppose comparison or comparing yourself is almost built into life like you think like the impact of social media uh, you know it's it's a hard one as much as i might say you know i i don't use huge amount of social media but just the 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 action of using it you 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 can't avoid it so yeah mm. it's a that's a brilliant uh brilliant thing to apply to that because it, yeah it's it's an easy trap that many of us fall into mm. and and that's the thing you bring up a great point with social media dave because you you're very much most of the time seeing people's best lives and it's, yeah, it's, all, yeah, it's yeah. nearly always through rose tinted glasses and yeah chances are they don't own that lamborghini or that yacht no. or whatever it is you know <laughs> and so no one's no one's taking videos of them putting the bins out are they really <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah it's never that yeah <laughs> Yeah, maybe if they did, social media would be a more healthy, yeah. healthy place. Yeah, right? maybe, yeah, yeah. yeah. Thursday night, it's recycling, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. 
yeah. it might help me to remember which ones to put out i always see yeah exactly <laughs> but on that Stu, you know we we always want people to reach out to our guests yeah. and you know make connections with them if they've really resonated with what you've shared and it, what's the best way for people to get hold of you so we can uh, try and connect you know anyone who would like to learn more about the work that you do how they might be able to get into uh, accessing your support and uh, yeah. you know maybe even just following you know what you do post via your your social mm -hmm. media platforms so what what sort of ones are you your go-tos that you would advocate sharing yeah absolutely so my handle on instagram is at hypno pt stew so all, all one word h-y-p-n-o p-t-s-t-u yeah and facebook it's just stuart wade it's just just my name i, I have a like a business page as well but you can get to yep. that on my personal page and my email address is stuart at swperformancecoaching.co.uk and again that's all one word those are probably the easiest ways to reach out to me and as mm. i said before i'm more than happy to have a chat with anyone who's curious and wants to learn a bit more mm. i'm here to help if i can yeah yeah that's brilliant because we're connected on LinkedIn, obviously, Stu. Um, yes, is that I'm on LinkedIn as well. I forgot yeah. about that one. <laughs> and it, is it just your name, Stuart Wade? That, that's the Stuart so, Wade. So on, yeah. Mm, sorry, sorry, Simon. Yeah, on on LinkedIn, it's it's Stuart Wade, Sport Performance and Weight Loss Specialist. Yeah, yeah. Bit long winded, but uh, yeah. <laughs> Dave would tell me off for that. He'd say, "Well, you got to shorten that. There's too many. You need some just uh, some initials." I got told to do that by somebody who was uh, an online marketer and he he was saying you know you should put your specialisms in your name because it mm. separates you out in the search results then and so it made sense at the time but it is a bit of a mouthful so yeah, well, yeah. people know what you're doing so I did there's not yeah. necessarily all bad you know that's yeah, true, <laughs> true. <laughs> but I think it's been brilliant mm. sharing that like I say like we've covered such a lot in that time and i know there will be people that are listening today that will be interested in reaching out and and it, i suppose some of them may reach out to you straight away but i think some of them will dip their toe and kind of see follow you uh, obviously see if you put your bins out on social media now but uh you know just keep up to date with what you're doing and find out if what you're offering you know is something of interest i know i'll be having a look because it i think you know, people were always looking for ways to, you know, improve and you don't know what you don't know. And that's mm. the whole thing we find with, with all the people we speak to, there's different ways of looking at things. Some resonate, some don't resonate, but there will be people out there that what you described resonate. So, mm. um, yeah, I think you'll be getting a few, uh, messages or follows after this. So, but as I say, it's been amazing speaking to you around this and, fascinating as well yeah th thank you very much and uh yeah I, I just to reiterate what you said there dave it is very much seeing what's out there mm. if hypnotherapy is something that resonates with you explore it if it's not yeah. find an alternative there's there's lots of different modalities out there and it is just finding out what works for you and what's going to help you to improve as you say so yeah thank you for having me on guys it's been brilliant nice. i've really enjoyed the chat thank you yeah thanks very pleasure. much for your time Stu. and yeah, thanks um, for all that, the Stu. best 
hope yeah, uh, it keeps continuing much. growing and you know you get more and more clients coming to you and they benefit you know they get the benefit because ultimately that's what we want is people mm -hmm. to you know change their life take it in a new direction and you know feel fulfilled and in that happy space when it comes to you know the things that they want to achieve so really appreciate your time and just giving people insights into that world of hypnotherapy and what that can look like not just from athlete perspective but business as well uh, for mm. those people so uh, excellent and uh, we look forward to seeing how things grow and develop great yeah. thanks so much guys i appreciate it